This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. It's now been 16 days since Portland Public Schools teachers began their first ever strike. With no school next week, it's becoming increasingly possible that the first day of school in November for 44,000 students will be Monday, November 27th. Even that would take a breakthrough in negotiations that today feels remote. We'll talk with the head of the teachers' union in a few minutes. We start right now with Dr. Renard Adams. He is the chief of research, assessment, and accountability for Portland Public Schools, and he's a member of the district's bargaining team. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dave. Can you give us a sense for where you think we are right now? Well, I would say I think we're a little bit closer than we have been. We've been listening intently to the Teachers Association and making compromises on issues that are important to them, like planning time, special education, early childhood. And we're working through some concepts on workload relief. What are the mediated sessions actually like? I mean, is this a kind of sequential one-on-one with the district and the mediator and then the mediator and the union? Or are you all ever in the same room at the same time? So that's a great question. Happy to elaborate for people who are curious. Uh, the, each, uh, the association and the district each have a room, a caucus room, and then the mediator has a space where the mediator brings us together to either have listening conversations, exchange concepts, or, full, or to have a full exchange of those proposals. Once we exchange those proposals or those concepts, we then go back to our caucus rooms because the whole group doesn't go within with the mediator. We typically have um, from each um, group subject matter experts who go. And so we come back and we debrief with the entire caucus and then we determine how we would best respond to any proposal we've received or um, make any proposal or offer and, you know, create that. The tone has changed, I think, a little bit in recent days. Both sides have been talking about incremental progress. You noted it just now. Do you feel like there has been a a turning point? Well, I think we have had some interesting moments that have led us to some greater clarity. I think we're in a space now where we're hearing them and they're hearing us. Um, What's an interesting moment and what's a clarity? Well, I think having the governor send in the state CFO to look at our financials was an was a very pivotal moment to have them confirm our numbers. That was our third independent analysis. I think that was important because we were so far apart on the math, and that was, I think, keeping us from bridging towards compromise. And now that that's happened and we've been able to be in spaces, I think people are um, – having their listening ears on and we're just listening to each other and trying, I know we are trying to make compromises that keep students at the center, that will get kids back in school as soon as possible, and that will meet some of the union's requests. On Tuesday, it seemed like there was a breakthrough. The union said that they had made big concessions in their class size cap demands. But then yesterday, you, the district, said that their math was wrong. Can you explain the discrepancy? Sure. Um, what we believe happened is a calculation error. Um, where, what, where we were, we're looking at a class load and caseload caps, and that cost, in our estimation over the next two years, was going to be about $100 million or a little above that. Uh, the union countered with an idea of removing overages from the contract, which is a 
um, $6 million uh, savings over the next two years and uh, proposed that they would we would achieve the class size caseload relief with only 37 additional educators. When we compared that and we they, sh- they happily shared their spreadsheets with us and we compared that to our own numbers and our own calculations, it has appeared as if they had only calculated the number of educators needed at the elementary level and hadn't included those needed at the middle school, high school level and some of our mental health specialists like social workers workers, uh, counselors, and psychiatrists. So to boil that down, um, what had seemed like um, bridging um, a gap, uh, re- reducing the gap between the two proposals by about $100 million, that, that's no longer the case based on your math. Based on our math, though, the gap is bridged, um, has reduced by about $30 million, yes. Has, have you gotten a response from the union um, about your calculations? We have not, not directly. So this means when you add up the existing gulf, if I'm not wrong, that there's over $200 million in in your proposal and their proposal. Is that right? That is correct. Let's say that you were able to find a way to to achieve the savings or or they were, both of you together, that that they had said were in that proposal um, on Tuesday. That would still mean if my sort of back of the envelope math is correct, um, that you'd be spending $250 million or so more than you have coming in over the next three years. First of all, is that is that basic assessment right in your mind? That sounds about right based on my math right, my mental math right in the moment. Okay. $250 million more uh, over the next three years. Can you give us a sense for the cuts you'd have to make in order to pay for that over the course of three years? We would not be able to bridge that much of a gap. We are, um, what we have on the table right now are $147 million settlement package. Uh, Just to be clear, so when people hear that, that that's that's on top of the 800 plus million dollars for, for, for this year's accepted budget and, the, and likely for the next two years. So it's you're saying it's $150 million more than you have budgeted for currently. Yes, and that that leaves us with about 103,000, uh, 103 million, excuse me, um, that we'd need to cut over the next three years, starting with this year. And so, because you'd be using some of the reserve funds, correct. And we don't what we don't want to do is impact the student experience in the schoolhouse. And so, given that 90 percent of our dollars go into buildings, 85 percent of our money pays for people, um, and that administration is only about five percent of our budget, we know we need to do some belt tightening around. Um, all around, and we have not yet identified any particular area for budget cuts. Um, we have, we're running and creating a list of some areas, but that will all happen through the budget process um, that will occur after this contract is settled. Well, but I want to get clarity on this for for listeners because I've heard this from a lot of people who say they've heard what the union has has been saying for months now. The, the basic line is. The union has, uh, sorry, the district has money. They're not spending it the right way. So I want you to walk us through, if you can, what you what would it, it would actually mean if you said, fine, we will spend $250 million more. What would that actually mean? And, and why are you saying it is impossible? What, sir, sure. Thank you, Dave, for the question. I appreciate it. What that would mean, that much of a gap, bridging that much of a gap, which, uh, you know, go, 250 
million dollars is getting close to like a third of our overall operating budget. Having to cut that much would be debilitating. It would affect students. It would affect schools. It would mean layoffs. It would mean higher class sizes. It would mean all the things we're trying to avoid right now. I just want to remind folks, if you're just tuning in, we're talking right now with Dr. Renard Adams. He's the Chief of Research, Assessment, and Accountability for Portland Public Schools. In a few minutes, we will hear from the president of the Teachers Union, the Portland Association of Teachers. One of the more contentious issues that's connected to the bargaining process is the question of when teachers would lose their district-sponsored health insurance. Can you illuminate this for us from the district's perspective? What's the timeline here? So we don't anticipate any teacher having a lapse in insurance because the OEA has committed to PAT that they will pick up striking PAT members' COBRA payments if necessary. So that's separate. So you're saying the district would stop paying, but teachers would not lose insurance because the statewide teachers union organization would pick up the tab. That's correct. $5 million or so a month is what I've read. That's my understanding. That's correct. Where does bargaining stand with the other represented employees who who also work for Portland Public Schools. Obviously, we've all been focused um, very <laughs> intently, those of us especially who have kids in the district, on the Portland Association of Teachers uh, because it's a strike right now. But you're negotiating with other unions at the same time, right? We are. We're negotiating with our PF. PFSP members and our SEIU members. What are the kinds of jobs that members of those two unions do? Uh, custodial, nutrition, um, speech and language pathologists, paraprofessionals. How do negotiations with the teachers union affect those other negotiations? Well, what I'd like to say is, as you know, our budget is a pie and not a well. And so we are trying to bring about a settlement uh, by making compromises with the Portland Association of Teachers that will also allow us to uh, financially work with our other bargaining units and bring them some relief as well. Are you assuming that whatever, say, cost of living adjust, uh, adjustment, increase in, in salaries and compensation for teachers, whatever one you eventually agree on for teachers might also have to be given to the other unions? So I would say that it all depends on where we land. Um, you know, it's we are committed to paying our lowest uh, increasing, excuse me, the earnings of our lowest paid employees. And that might amount to more of a percentage. It just depends on where we land with this contract. The reason I'm asking is it's just it's hard for me to imagine if, if whatever percentage increase you end up giving to, to teachers it's hard to imagine those other unions saying, wait a minute, you gave this to teachers. How can you not at least give that to us? I know, and that'll all be worked out at the negotiations table. We have to work within our means. And the one thing we continue to say is we can't give what we don't have. And we're trying to make sure we take care of all of our employees because they're also very valued. Under Oregon law, K-8 students have to receive at least 900 hours of instructional time. High schoolers have to receive more. It's actually different for 11th graders, I think. <laughs> but but, seniors, but yes. the point is that, if I'm not mistaken, students in PPS already are going to be under the minimum thresholds. That's just a one more marker, a sort of a numerical marker of what's been lost already. What are the various options for adding instructional time when this is all said and done? So that's a great question. Uh, what I want everyone to know is we'll need to negotiate that as well with the association, right? And so we- Even though, that's, that's one of the things I was wondering. I mean, there's, this is statute 
kids, so says Oregon law, have to get this, or else I think you have to get out a kind of uh, a get out of jail free card from the state. But even though it's un- in statute, you still have to bargain this. Yes, because we need to talk about which days will be recouped. Are we going to, for example? Um, have school in session on President's Day? Are we going to, for example, have to extend the school year by a certain number of days to make up those hours? And in, so, in June. In June, yes. All of that um, needs to be negotiated and discussed with the association as well. What we want is students to not leave this school year um, without their required instructional hours. And that's why we're trying to compromise within our means with students at the center to get our students back in school as soon as possible. Speaking of that, unless there's a a breakthrough like right now or in the coming hours, the earliest Portland school kids are going to be returning to school is Monday, November 27th. Will you be negotiating through this weekend and throughout next week, even though it's Thanksgiving? I'm asking this on behalf of, you know, 44,000 kids. So we remain available and willing to negotiate as the mediator is available and calls us into negotiations. Is it, it, it it's we, dependent on one person's availability at this point? Well, the mediator has made themselves available to us um, very openly and said that they are available any day, night, at a moment's notice when we're ready to pass a proposal. We are prepared to work weekends. We've worked weekends thus far. Um, and next week, we're prepared to work as well. Renard Adams, thank you very much. Thank you. Renard Adams. Dr. Renard Adams is a Chief of Research, Assessment, and Accountability for Portland Public Schools and a member of the district's bargaining team. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now with both sides in the ongoing labor dispute at Portland Public Schools as the teacher strike continues with no end in sight. Angela Bonilla is the president of the Portland Association of Teachers, and she joins us once again. Thanks very much for joining us. Angela, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can. Oh, that was a relief. Great. Okay, because I've got a lot to talk about. Can, can you give us a sense for where you think we are right now? Well, I think uh, for the first time since we began negotiations, we have had the, the district bargaining team actually talk to us about class size. Um, and that is huge movement on their, on their behalf. Um, and we're super excited to actually talk through the nitty gritty of what does it look like to have a class size cap. Um, that serves our students and ensures that we don't have these overloaded and unbalanced classes, especially in our Title I schools. Well, so let, um, let, otherwise, let, let's, oh, let, let's drill down in, into class size uh, because it, it does seem that there is, even though you're, you're saying that there's been movement there, there's also, um, at least publicly, a, a, a lack of clarity, even just on this one question. They say, as, as I think you just heard, and obviously you've heard before, that you failed to account for some really significant costs, in particular for middle school and high school teachers and for social workers, school psychologists, and speech pathologists, which they say means that the offer you said that was going to mean a $100 million reduction um, in your ask most of that reduction, they say, evaporated. What's your response? 
Well, my response is that we are doing the calculations and moving as quickly as possible. We're talking, you know, matters of hours, not days, um, because our students are out of school. And so there are some things that we need to clean up, which we're working on right now. We've brought in um, experts from other uh, locals to help us kind of do this costing and budgeting and help us orient ourselves so that we can provide uh, the best financial movement we can. Um, I think when it comes to the class size issue, we're also trying to look at what other locals and other states have done. Um, you know, the majority of states in this nation, including Florida, uh, Arkansas, and Alabama, have class size caps in their in their state law, um, and lots of locals have it in their contracts, and they still exist, and the things haven't exploded in their <laughs> district. And so, we know it's possible, and we gave it a shot. The district actually responded. And so now we are going to refine that proposal um, and respond in kind. So that is what the majority of our morning has been, is just working through those proposals, getting more information, getting more information so that we can give the district uh, the appropriate response. But I will say that one thing we do know about um, Portland Public Schools and their uh, financing is that year after year, they predict a deficit and year after year, they have a uh, surplus at the end of their budget. So that shows us a pattern that they consistently misforecast their funding and always under forecast it, which is typically good for bu- for budgeting, but not good when we have students in classes of 32 and 33. Can you help me understand the, the, the basic mechanism here for how you say you are going to be um, a, addressing class sizes, but not adding significantly to the cost of operations of the school? I mean, the, the way I've understood this in the past is if you want to have fewer kids in classes, you need more classes, meaning you need more teachers. And that's why um, having smaller classes can be great for kids but but a cost for a district my mm-hmm. you you the idea here was um if i understand correctly we'll have new committees or or groups of volunteers at the school level who if if there needs to be a uh, a class size that's above a cap the committee would would get together and they would sort of talk about that the only way this mm-hmm. makes sense to me, if it's going to be an enormous $100 million cost saving, is if, for the most part, those committees always say yes to the larger classes, which makes me wonder what this would actually accomplish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for the question. So a lot of the language that we brought forth came from what we've seen, the progress we've seen happen in St. Paul um, with their class size caps and uh, target sizes for their students and in their district. So they have a similarly sized district. They have about uh, 80 schools. They have about nine comprehensive high schools, very similar to Portland Public Schools. And what we've seen since they got this language for class size caps um, in about 2017-18 is that those committees, for the most part, are able to add additional staff if needed or add additional support. So that might look like additional reading intervention, ensuring that they have a uh, educational assistant in physical education because that class is now larger, um, making sure that they have the support so that students aren't kind of flailing and educators don't have um, a remedy. You know, the, the, the fact of the matter is at this point, even though the district has their own calculations and their own staffing models, for how many students should be in a class, they go over it and there is no conversation or accountability on the side of the educator. 
sometimes bargaining is baby steps where we are trying to figure out how do we get into the conversation as well as get that relief. And that's what we're working to do. We know that if we have these committees, which would have two administrators, two educators, and two parents, um, we would be able to, parents are problem solvers by default. They have to figure out so many things day to day, and they would be able to help us figure out solutions to support um, adding students if need be. Um, but it also pushes the district to have this conversation every year and every time this comes up. And what we've seen in St. Paul is over the last couple of years, it hasn't been as much of an issue because now the district accounts for it in their staffing models, in their budgeting moving forward. So like we've always said through this campaign, this is going to be a monumental shift in how our, in the status quo and how the district manages their funds and their staff. And one of those things that we've seen in other districts is that once they place the caps and they have to talk to us about it and parents are engaged and involved in the process, understanding the reality on the ground, they start making better choices. They start meeting the expectation of keeping our class sizes low. So, you know, it's, it, it's hard for our students year after year, and it's an improvement from where we are now. So we're hoping to continue refining that language and getting to an agreement soon. But I guess I still don't understand the basic math here. It, it, if if you're saying that more often than not, um, the the class cap would actually um, be meaningful, and, and you wouldn't go above that because the committee would meet and and a, a teacher's assistant or a reading helper or another teacher were added, then how does that not almost by definition greatly increase the cost? How can you have your cake and eat it too here? Yeah. So one. The increase in staff would not necessarily be certified staff, so that's a difference. Uh, Meaning they'd be cheaper. Yeah, in terms of how the district funds and pays for our uh, lowest paid employees. Hmm. Um, I think the other piece is that we understand the budget constraints they are under, and we are working on a proposal right now to figure out what does it look like to have this language cycle in. Um, It wouldn't be active this calendar year, right? We also have overages. The district has said that they would prefer to keep overages, but has continued to talk about class size. So we're looking at how we can improve that process. Um, when you say also, you you understand the budget constraints the district is in, I have to say that's, n- that's not the kind of language I have... I'm used to hearing from the union over the last certainly weeks or, or maybe months. I mean, the, the line, it really has been, you have the money, you're not spending it well. So... So when yeah. you say so what do you what do you mean when you say you understand the constraints? Yeah. I understand that they believe there are constraints. <laughs> That's very, so very different. Me helping me, yeah, thanks for helping me clarify that. I believe they believe there are constraints. I also understand when I look at the numbers from twenty eighteen to twenty twenty three, every year on average they've had a estimation that they would be under they would be overspending. They would have to do some deficit spending. And in reality, they have always had a surplus and not just in their general fund, but also in their special fund. That difference between what they estimate their final budget will be and their actual budget will be is on average about $58 million that they are incorrect by underestimating how much they actually end up with at the end of the year. Do you, so do I you have trust... a really hard time. So you, you, have, oh. you have a hard time tr- trusting them, it seems. I have a hard time trusting that they are doing uh, that what they're saying is going to be different than what we've seen for the last 
at least six years of their budgeting process. But what about the fiscal analysis from the the state's Department of Education and the Department of Administrative Services? They looked at the the district's budgeting, and they said that for the most part, the district is right. They, I mean, for example, one thing they said that they did not find is something the union has been saying for a while or was saying for a while, that that the district is going to get $20 million more every year over the next three years than they were accounting for. The only thing that they noted was it's possible the district will get $12 million more next year. Do you agree with the state's analysis? Well, in our meeting with folks from the state uh, this past week, what I heard from their analysis is that it is not surprising for for them that the district continues to forecast a deficit and end up with a surplus. And it is also not and that they agree and the district understands that they have one hundred and five million dollars in reserves. Um, when looking at their data in terms of the change in year over year of the general purpose grant, which is what they were talking about. They've shown that there is about a 3.83 or anywhere between a 3.6 and a 3.8 increase annually in how much they are being funded from the general purpose grant, the state school fund. Um, And so, you know, the state has stated that there are under forecasts. Um, They have let us know that it makes sense. Uh, They can't verify, but it is not surprising that their forecast uh, is underestimating because that is what they've done year after year is believe they have less money than they actually do. Um, and so that is what we are going by. There is funding there. It is not our responsibility and also not my skill set, right, <laughs> to be able to help them forecast correctly in order for us to be able to budget correctly. We continue to have these surpluses at the end of the year while we, they continue to forecast the deficit. And that is not something I'm making up or that is new. That is something that when shared with the state, they are able to, they have said that is not surprising. That is the trend we are seeing. I want to, so to, to stick with the money here, because among other things, it, it really is the, the crux of the issue here. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Let's say that the district were to agree to the, the, the ballpark figure for the offer that that you made um, on Tuesday that that's still about two hundred and forty or two hundred and fifty million dollars more than than they say uh, is in the budget for three years. And as you heard mm-hmm. from Renard Adams just now, and as you, as you've heard before, they say what what that would lead to is the exact kinds of things um, that that everyone is trying to avoid. It would lead to teacher layoffs. It would lead to larger class sizes all because of of trying to pay teachers more and trying to reduce class sizes. Are you saying you disagree even with that? Well, what I know is that for the past two school years, the district has cut 90 FTE from classrooms. And we had families, you know, uh, protesting that at school board meetings and the overload that it would place on classrooms. And then the year before that, there was another, I think it was like 40 or 50 positions that were cut. Um, and this was without negotiations, without an increase in our salaries. So I have a hard time believing that it's our proposal that's going to cost the district to make those choices because they continue to make those choices, whether or not we're in bargaining. The reality is, They have chosen to continue to cut classroom educators. They have chosen to continue to cut certified positions. Every year, they unassign educators and make an upheaval in our staffing process, and yet they continue to blame our union and our our bargaining 
on these choices they have shown to make outside of bargaining. So I have a hard, again, this is, we, and we've talked about this with our school board members. There is a lot of trust that needs to be built with this district because we see what they do. So it's hard to believe what they say. They say this is going to cause cuts. Well, they've been making cuts without budgeting or, or bargaining with us for the past two years, right? So they, and yet the contracts out continue to increase, right? We have positions currently on their website for hiring more administrators. We see that they continue to say this is going to cause these cuts, that they want to invest in our students, that this is going to cause all these problems. The problems are already here, and they have created them by their own choices. And now the movement is let's blame the union. I mean, even with their budgeting, a lot of the things that they finally explained to us through their costing are costs that they already have to account for. They already pay for our health insurance. Why would that be a new cost? They already pay for step increases every year. That is just how our salaries work. Why would that be a new cost, not just the increase on the COLA? So, you know, I think it's, I have a hard time, again, believing what they say when when we look through it every time we dig a little deeper, there's more to the story than what they're putting out. And the reality is they have a communications team that has the budget of an elementary school. So they're able to put out messaging in a way that we can't as a union. And, you know, there's something about, uh, you know, uh, a lie goes around the world before the truth gets out of bed. We are doing our best to make sure that the community knows everything that we're working on. And the, the like Dr. Adams said, this process is moving by the hour. So what might come out yesterday is not going to be the reality this afternoon because we're, I mean, my team is literally working on proposals right now to adjust the class size proposal based on the feedback we got from the district and our members. Because in the end, our contract has to be ratified by our members and we can't get them off of the line if we do not get significant improvements on the priorities that are going to give our students the kind of schools they deserve. Just briefly, will you accept more days added to the end of the year so that kids can make up at least some of the lost instructional time? Oh, we're going to make up that time. One of our proposals is to lengthen the student day by 15 minutes. And so we have our snow days, we have uh, longer days, which will add hours. And we're hoping that if the district can come to the table with genuine proposals to get to settlement, not just the grandstand in the media, we'll be able to get to a settlement and not have to make up as many days as they're projecting. Angela Bonilla, thank you very much. Thank you. Angela Bonilla is the president of the Portland Association of Teachers.